Welcome to Let's Be Real Sports Podcast, presented by Let's Be Real Media. Watch us live on YouTube and Twitter, and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at LBR underscore media. Also, subscribe to us on any podcast platform. What's going on? BLJ here, the best hype man in the NBA. Man, I'm here with Let's Be Real. Tune in. Ah! <laughs> Hello! Let's be real sports podcast with your boy the one piece shark with my guys Took and Trevor. How y'all doing? A1, man. A1, A1. How y'all doing? I'm doing well, man. It's been a long time. It feels like ages since we've been on this journey, man. What's good, everybody? Sure. Sure do. But we're missing two members. They'll be back. They're coming back from their vacation on the cruise. So shout out to Scout and Sheedy. Safe travels to those guys making it home for with their wives as well. But happy birthday, Savage. Yep, happy birthday, yeah, Savage. Birthday, the hard away. And Sheedy's birthday is tomorrow. So back to back birthdays. But if y'all see tightened up, so we got the big time guests coming on. I bring them in after this ad read from our sponsor. Sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with the opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, betstamp.app forward slash LBR, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with the review of each platform and its unique benefits. All these sportsbooks have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sports book at betstamp.app forward slash LBR. All right, we are back. As y'all see, man, big time guest we got is the host and executive producer of Gills Arena. And y'all know him as the mean king, Josiah Johnson. How you doing, my guy? What's going on, fellas? Man, appreciate y'all having me on. Appreciate you. Appreciate, appreciate you. you. Yes. Definitely. But so it's, it's let's be real. How real can I get? I can get real, uh, real, or oh, okay. make it sure as real as possible, man. Just making sure be, it wouldn't be our title <laughs> if you didn't. So hey. <laughs> right, definitely. But as we start with y'all, first time guests, Q and A session. Yes, sir. So real quick, man, just being uh, coming from a basketball standpoint, just a basketball player. Um, how'd you get into sports media? So for me, I, I, I played at UCLA. I, I use the term play real loosely. I was on the squad, didn't play that much. So knew I didn't really have a, a pro career in my sights. So uh, after college ended, we're just trying to figure out life, you know, tr- trying to figure out what my next move was. Then ended up getting into the sports entertainment industry, working for Fox Sports and NFL Network, doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes there. Started as a production assistant and worked my way up. 
And then uh, simultaneously while I was doing that, I started a little website blog called uh, Jersey Chaser, which was just like sports themed content, but more just lighter side kind of, you know, when I was in the locker rooms at UCLA, we would crack a lot of jokes and we had a different unique perspective on sports. So just kind of created that website to be able to, to showcase and highlight that and just, you know, not take sports as seriously as a lot of the other companies out there do and just kind of have the fun with it and really kind of just the love of the game. So we're doing a lot of that stuff on that side. Uh, producing shows and working on that side and then made the transition to the hosting side. So now I do the show, like you mentioned, with, with Gilbert Arena. It's called Gil's Arena. We also have a show with Fubo Sports we do called No Chill. So just, you know, from all the stuff I learned, being behind the scenes, producing and doing those type of things really helped inform me, help me, you know, make that 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 move and that transition to being in front of the camera and doing that type of stuff. So super thankful and blessed for all the opportunities I had coming up in the game. But before I started doing the on-camera stuff, I'd, I'd worked in the you know production and sports entertainment side for like a good 10 to 12 years. So learned everything on that side. And then now that's helped me do all the stuff I'm doing now. Nice, nice. So as a player, um, what's been your favorite memory for you on the court and as well as off the court? Uh, probably some of my favorite memories. Uh, crazy enough, uh, like summers at UCLA, we have these crazy pickup games and all these pros would come in and then the college guys would play too. So I had to guard KG uh you know for for the better part of the summer because apparently we're both power fours obviously I, he's a hall of famer you know i'm kind of you know how much trash was you talking man we need to know how much trash was you talking i mean, I mean he, was, he was so wild out there that you know i mean it, it was it was it was cool i mean he was a good dude and really super complimentary myself and my game but i remember we were we were playing one time and you know if everybody has hooped before when you're playing in an official game and you want to trick a referee and a guy shooting you can hit their elbow like that right before they shoot most of the times the ref's not going to see it so I tried to pull out that move in a pickup game. It's a little different because obviously offense calls fouls. So I hit him with that one time just to, to throw a shot off. And then he ended up, you know, cussing me out for a better part of like two or three minutes after I did it. But during those games, especially being in college, you got to kind of get in where you fit in. So, you know, I, I would shoot shots obviously on the offensive side, but I really made my name out there just grabbing every rebound possible, trying to be like a Dennis Rodman out there. So anytime anybody shot, I'm trying to get the board offensively, defensively, keep my team in the game. So after, you know, some of those games, he called me a glass eater, which was super complimentary, you know, back then just because I was cleaning the glass. And uh, so got, getting that compliment from KG, I'll never forget that. And then UCLA, we had a we had a ton of, you know, big games, big moments. I think probably biggest moment, uh, we're in NCAA tournament and we played uh, Cincinnati. They were the number one seed. I think we were the AFC. We ended up upsetting them to advance to the Sweet 16. So that was, that was a, probably one of the highlights of my career, and also just just beating USC's ass all the time. So all all those things. We're gonna talk about them a little bit. <laughs> what about from like your favorite player, like favorite player or favorite memory? Uh, so when I was at UCLA, favorite player uh, was Earl Watson, who I got to play with. I was a redshirt freshman; he was a senior. Earl went on to play in the league for like 15 years, coach the Phoenix Suns. Now he was a coach on the Raptors, but I think Nick Nurse's whole crew, I'm not sure what, what his status is now that Nick Nurse got, got booted. But Earl just, you know, personified what it meant to be a leader. He was the point guard on the team, but, you know, on the court, off the court, just a, a, a great dude and uh, somebody who brought me in. He actually played with my older brother, Chris, who went to UCLA as well. My older brother was a senior when Earl was a freshman. I was a freshman when Earl was a senior, so he kind of took me under his wing just show me the ropes, show me what, you know, what college life was all about and how to approach and attack it. So Earl, favorite player, but I played with probably like 10 guys that went pro. So Matt Barnes, Dan Gazzarich, uh, Jason Capono, just, a, a, you know, a bunch of do Ryan Hollins, uh, Cedric Bozeman, Dejon Thompson, a bunch of guys who ended up going to have professional careers. So just to be around those guys, play with them. Trevor Reese, another guy 
who I got to play with, just just to be around those guys, play with them, and, and learn the game from them, man, was uh, something I, I cherish forever. And, of course, being a hoops head that you are, you also got some work in football. And just to be honest, man, I, I watched uh, the Colin black and white thinking there's going to be another typical, you know, kid documentary of it growing up playing football. But, no, y'all really told the story. Y'all really dove into, you know, some racial things as far as America going. Then Colin, you know, becoming who he is now. So uh, what made you want to help tell that story? Uh, for me, just to get the opportunity to do that, anytime you get to work with Ava DuVernay, you know, you're not going you're not going to say no to that. And then Michael Starberry, who's a close friend of mine, who was a showrunner on that show, we created Legends of Chamberlain Heights together. So getting the opportunity to work with him again. And I'm a big time Raiders fan, but I like to joke that Colin's the only guy that will ever have me wearing a Niners jersey. So even before I got the opportunity to work on that show, 2016, when all this stuff was first starting, I had a show on Comedy Central called Legends of Chamberlain Heights. So I remember Comedy Central had a, a Emmys party you know, right around the time that Colin had kind of started his protest and started his stance. So I remember showing up to that in a, in a Kaepernick jersey just to show my love and support to him. So to be able to work with him, I think, was like three or four years later down the road. And just, you know, like you said, be able to tell Colin's story, do it in a meaningful way. You know, we never wanted it to be a football show. It was, it, was, it was a football show just from the standpoint of that's what he went on to be, but really to show the world who he was as a man, his upbringing, kind of the, the interesting dynamics that went on. Uh, being adopted by two white parents growing up in, in Turlock, California, which is Central Cali. So I live in L.A. Everybody thinks California, blue state, you know, everything is all good. But, you know, the central part of California is much different. You know, a lot of stuff you see Confederate flags flying and that type of stuff going on. So basically what Colin had to deal with in his early life and also just trying to fulfill his dream of being a quarterback. And, you know, wasn't a highly recruited player coming out of high school. I think he had one scholarship offer to Nevada, Reno, where he ended up going. But the rest is kind of history from there. Ended up being one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in, in college football history. Got an opportunity to play with the 49ers. Was a you know a pass short of winning that Super Bowl uh, against the Ravens. But you know the remarkable and tremendous career he had, and obviously everything in the aftermath of that when he took his stance to kneel during the national anthem. Uh, the NFL essentially blackballing him, not giving him another opportunity to do to do it. But also showing how much he sacrificed to be in that position because his whole life he wanted to be a quarterback. He saw a lot of the issues going on in the world, you know, wasn't really feeling it, wanted to be able to use his platform to help raise awareness and give, you know, people a voice and, you know, suffered the ultimate consequence, made the ultimate sacrifice, essentially having to give up his career as a result of that. So, you know, being able to work with Colin was a dream come true. We actually, you know, got to meet him several times throughout the process, uh, the writing period and just the production period of developing that show. And just to see, you know, you hear all these things about Colin in the media and how they're reported and he wanted this and he didn't want that and he's this and that, then you actually really get to sit down with him, look him in his eyes and have conversations with him and understand his perspective. So it was just a tremendous opportunity. I'm super thankful for Ava for even giving me the chance. But, you know, anytime you get the opportunity, like I said, to work with Ava, you're going you're gonna to take advantage of that. And for me, it's, it's something that I, you know, truly appreciate and actually got the chance to do another show with her called Cherish Today, which was on OWN Network, completely different than Colin and kind of my wheelhouse and what I was used to. But, she uh, liked the work I did so much on Colin that she gave me the opportunity to come work on that project as well. So definitely a blessing. I was just about to ask, like, what can we expect more from you on that side of the media? Um, yeah. I mean, I'll try to do the hosting stuff really has taken off and me and Gil are doing a bunch of stuff. We got Gil's Arena, which is airing now three days a week, Tuesday through Thursday. So just to be real with y'all, we'd be going, you know, like two, two and a half hours, just straight live show, which is a lot different than a TV format. So I'd be burnt out after, you know, I'd be, I stay up all night preparing the show, come, come in in the morning to prep the show, work with Gil and Brandon Jennings and Rashad McCants and the rest of the amazing and incredible talent that we have as a part of that show. 
but definitely doing some 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 writing still behind the scenes. Got some other projects I'm super excited about that you know hopefully if if the powers that be give me give me the opportunity I'll be hearing about real soon. But I just try to stay as busy as possible. I think especially during the pandemic, everything that was going on, you know, people you know out of work and you know frustrated and depressed and everything they were dealing with. I try to have as many hustles as possible because I never know when one hustle is going to dry up and I'm going to need the other one. So I try to just keep my keep my keep my name in a bunch of different hats, a bunch of different places. So when those opportunities do arise, you know, I'm I'm able to to keep myself employed and keep my family fed. And of course, how did you how did you and Gil end up linking up uh, through through podcasting? So it's it's wild. So Gil's a year older than me. So my first experience seeing Gil, I was a sophomore at Crenshaw High School. Gil was a junior. He was playing at Grant, which was a school in the San Fernando Valley. had had no basketball tradition whatsoever. So Crenshaw and Grant uh, play first round of the playoffs. Gil comes to Crenshaw. So I don't know how much I know about LA Crenshaw, but you know that that's you know the hood, right? You know, like you know Nipsey Hustle. Uh, had his store and, and, you know, lost his life tragically uh, like a mile, about a mile away from campus. But that's that's just the hood. So Gil comes in with his crew. He's got a bunch of, like, Latino dudes on his team. He's, like, one of the only black dudes on the squad. But he ends up dropping 40 on Crenshaw. Crenshaw was notorious for having this press called Rover. Full-court press used to literally dominate teams. They smacked teams by 50, 60 points. Gil was single-handedly breaking the press, going coast to coast. And I'm looking like, yo, who is this dude right here? Like, he didn't have a bunch of – Hype and fanfare around his name at that point. Then he ended up he ended up going to Arizona. I went to UCLA, so we crossed paths there a little bit. Then uh, it, it's crazy because I live literally two minutes away from him. We both live in the same neighborhood. So during the pandemic, I would go on jogs around the neighborhood just to kind of clear my mind, keep my head, you know, straight. And I would see him roll by in his, his various luxury vehicles, you know, when I'd be jogging and stuff. So we would kind of just say what's up to each other, give each other the nod. Then it ended up for his show, No Chill, he was looking for a new host. So my agent ended up connecting us. We hit it off right away. So I got the opportunity to do that. We did No, no Chill for about two seasons. And then we had the opportunity to do this new show, Gil's Arena, as well, in addition to No Chill. So I've been rocking with Gil. I, mean, I think the thing about Gil, you know, people have different opinions about him. A lot of people know him for some of the situations he had in the NBA. And that's kind of, you know, all people know him for. But when you really get the chance to sit down and work with Gil and talk, just his basketball mind, knowledge, how much he studies the game, loves the game. And, you know, wants to help grow the game even still now that he's retired. He's got a son, Elijah, who's over at uh, uh, Chatsworth right now that was a freshman this year that was just absolutely, you know, I think he averaged like 25, 30 a game this year doing his thing. So to see, and it's crazy because Gil's like 6'3", his son's like 6'5", 6'6", right now, but plays just like him. So if you can imagine a 6'6", Gilbert Arenas in high school just out there cooking dudes and dominating, and, you know, I don't want to say yeah, but I want to put the pressure on the son, but look, looking better than his dad right now. But for me, just Ooh, to be able to you work know, with you gotta, him. You might hear that. You might hear, hear that. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, he'll probably just, just where Gil was at at that age versus where his son's at. And, you know, especially being the son of a former player, you think about people like Bronny, uh, Carmelo's son, all these kids out there have kind of so much pressure on them. But his son really embraces that and puts the work in. But for me to be able to work with Gil – and, you know, do the shows with him, but also sit with him behind the scene and have just long conversations about hoop, his perspective. It's a little out there at times, but if you really listen to the stuff that he's saying, it, it makes a lot of sense. And he, he's unfiltered. He's raw. So he'll, he'll say whatever's on his mind. He's not worried about offending anybody. But I think the cool thing is, even if, if you know, the mainstream or, or people feel like he might have offended somebody or whatever, maybe he's actually talking to these people, you know, reaching out to them directly. So it's never, you know, Twitter, social media, all these spots, they want to create beef and stuff. Or Gil said this and Gil said that. But whenever he says anything, I remember we did the finals last year 
and he had said some stuff about Draymond. Basically, Draymond needs to step up, and if if they if they lose this series, it's going to be because of his play. And then right after a game, him and Dray- Draymond are DMing each other, and you know Draymond just telling how much he appreciated the words and the, and the inspiration and motivation. So to be able to have an inside look at that kind of stuff going on for me, man, it, it's wild. So I, I pinch myself every day that that's literally what I get paid to do for work. Hey, TF. Hey, hey, what's up? Where you go? <laughs> I got a funny story. I got to tell them. To a lesser extent, your Crenshaw story just reminded me of me and Taylor when we was in college. Stop. No, bro. At the University of Memphis. We played against Damon Stoudemire. I'm about to leave. I'm to leave. <laughs> we played him in the intramural game. <laughs> and he lit us up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he lit us up. But you, you see pro dude, man, know. and no matter how yeah, old they yeah. are, somebody like Damon is a, a, a beast still – could still probably give people, you know, the, the average human being buckets. So yeah. people think like, oh, I could play in the league if I was this or that or whatever. And then you see a real NBA dude come through and it's like, nah, even the worst dude in the league will give you buckets. No, Shark and Cap, he said gave us, but no, nah, gave me buckets. I was the only one holding. I'm five, six, five, seven. <laughs> <laughs> this man put 40 up against Kobe. What am I supposed to do? At least, hey. at least, you, you, at least you manning up or said that you was the one guarding him. At least you took the challenge to guard him. Can I get your autograph? He shows. <laughs> so you brought up uh, Draymond Green and we want we want to ask about like, do you feel like it's a saturation of NBA players coming into the whole podcast media? Because now you got I was, I was calling pandemic P, but now play a uh, podcast P. Uh, with Paul George, so it's like you got different players coming out and doing their own podcast. Do you think is the, the market's coming more saturated, or you think it's a good thing that players are starting to use their voice more? I mean, I, I think it's a saturated market, but I'm always a fan of the players and the players using their platforms to help control their message and c- control their narrative. Because too often we we allow the mainstream media to do that, and a lot of times they just don't understand. You know, what I mean, a lot of people that work in sports media don't really have the background to be able to cover it in terms from a player standpoint. So any, you know. You look at Gill or you look at Matt Stack, Knuckleheads with Q Rich and Darius, just for them to each have their own perspective, angles, stories, and, and really, you know, for all of us that never play in the league, and even that's my approach when I do shows with Gill, because it's like, look, yo, I play college basketball. Look, that's a high level, but that's not the NBA. So your perspective, having been through practices, games, travel, you know, you get the stuff going on in the world with some players now, all the stuff off the court, you know, dealing with DMs and all that type of stuff and baby mama drama and all these type of things that go on for them to be able to know and understand that and present that unique perspective. Man, I've got no problem with it. Uh, and like you said, it was Pandemic P. He's did a great job rebranding himself. Now it's Podcast P. Nobody even – it was, was Playoff P, Playoff <laughs> P, all Mark. that good stuff. But I think – <laughs> But it's cool for me to see guys that are actually in the league right now. Trey Young just started a pod as well. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a crowded space, but there's so many unique voices. I think there's enough room for everybody, and they each have their own perspective, analysis, and background, and unique experiences to be able to, to tell their story. So to answer your question, yeah, it's oversaturated, but anytime you've got these guys, and it's cool to see like a guy like uh, Paul George or a guy like Trey or somebody like Draymond in the relationship they have, like Draymond and Steve Kerr doing doing uh you know shows after the finals and hearing Steve Kerr's perspective as a Hall of Fame coach, you know, four-time champion coach, uh, how he would approach the Nuggets. And you know, Jamal Murray's ahead of the snake and not Joker, because Joker's gonna cook no matter what. But if you can neutralize some of these other guys, so to be able to have all these unique perspectives for people who actually love hoop and hoop heads, like you can't get enough of it. And 
you know, everybody's got their particular, you know, following and, and audience. And I, I still think there's enough space for all of us. Like me and Gil, we're not trying to do the same stuff that Matt and Stack are trying to do or trying to do the same stuff as Knuckleheads or any of these other pods out there. So for everybody to have their own lane and space and to be able to thrive in this game, I think it's a cool thing to see. Trevor. All right, sticking with the NBA, we're going to transition to the playoffs, and we're going to transition to your Lakers. Of course, I, I got to give the Lakers their props because they did knock off our Grizzlies in a uh, formidable fashion, and I did come out and say that uh, up to their Western Conference uh, West, Western Conference Finals, excuse me, they uh, pretty much were the hottest team in the NBA since the trade deadline once they made all of those moves. So from a realistic standpoint, aside from the obvious now, which could potentially be Chris Paul, um, where do you see the Lakers as far as what you what do you feel the Lakers should do, excuse me, um, in this offseason realistically, um, to help improve to maybe get back to the finals or get back to the Western Conference finals from that? Yeah, season. I mean, you, you throw names out there and you got to think now LeBron would was able to do in year 20 at 38 years old with the janky foot, you know, remarkable, even, even getting past the Grizzlies. Like, you know, I'm gonna be real for that series started. It, it was definitely a little shaky. You know, we definitely benefited from Dylan Brooks running his mouth a little too much. Ja suffering a hand injury, which was unfortunate, but obviously helped the Lakers, you know, get through that series. But it's a lot of moves that are going to be made. I think most importantly is, uh, you know, signing Austin Reeves. You don't want another situation like they had with Caruso, where Caruso was, a, you know, you know, not the best player on the team, but solid player, really helped and uplifted, made that team better. They kind of got janky with the bread with him, so he, he dipped to Chicago. So Austin Reeves, he's probably going to get somewhere in the eighty to hundred million dollar range, which may sound wild, but for a you know second year undrafted player who was averaging like close to twenty points per game towards the end of the season into the playoffs, you know looked like the third best player on the team at times when D'Angelo Russell kind of was, was going through his, his different situations and you know getting up shots after the game, but we needed them shots during the game type of stuff. But you got Kyrie out there, James Harden out there, it's a lot of names. Dame obviously lurking, kind of being super cryptic, you know, leaving hints that he wants to dip. There's a not, lot of names out there, so I'm sure that the front office will, will sit together with LeBron and that crew. But you got a great core in LeBron and AD, and you also, you know, you got to keep in mind what this new CBA is going to look like. CBA, essentially, this new version, new iteration of it, was established to, to punish big market teams, punish the big spending teams like the Warriors, the Clippers, and teams like that that are trying to put an ensemble roster together that are championship caliber. So how all those moves are going to make, you know, how a guy like Kyrie or, or Harden or somebody like that might fit into it, how much bread they might want, and realistically, will the Lakers be able to pay that? But I think between, you know, re-signing Austin Reeves, locking up Rui Hachimura, figuring out what they want to do with D'Lo, whether that, you know, kind of don't, don't just want to let them walk in free agency so they can get a sign and trade out of that and get some moves there. But it's going to be an interesting thing to see. And like you said, got to the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, they got swept. But to be eight games away from winning the championship, versus where this team started, 13th seed. You know, they was they was hovering around the, the bottom. Pelicans fans cracking jokes like, oh, we're about to get that number one pick off y'all. We're about to get Wimby off y'all. So see where they started to now being seventh seed, advancing, you know, beating, beating the Grizzlies, beating the Warriors. You know, teams for me, like, you know, Steph fans, Steph fans and LeBron fans don't really rock, rock with each other, obviously. So to be able to get over that hurdle and that bump and get to the Western Conference Finals, and just to be real, they got swept by the Nuggets, but watching those games, played them tough. There was definitely several games they lost. You know, the Nuggets didn't beat them. They just lost and, uh, you know, cost themselves the series. But even seeing what the Nuggets are doing now in the finals and seeing a team like the Heat be able to get one off of them, 
We'll see if they can get another one. It's not looking too good right now. Seems like, you know, Joker and Jamal Murray figure something out. But I think this Lakers squad, they're, they're going to figure out in the offseason. The crazy thing is now we hear all these stories about this guy wants to come, this guy don't want to come. It's like you don't move. You know, you use the media to, to put out whatever messaging and, and propaganda you want. More times than not, that's not the move you're going to make. Like, I'm not going to say I really want to sign a guy, give him the leverage, and now he's trying to get in my pockets. I'm going to say, hey, we don't want this guy. Or, yeah, we, hey, we're not looking at Kyrie. We're not looking at this dude. We're not looking at that dude to kind of keep everybody, you know, it's, it's a leverage game at that point because the team, like, you know, they know you want Kyrie. All right, well, you know, other guys are going to make moves, other spots. So just to, to see the moves that are out there, I think they got to make a splash, hopefully do something big to get fans excited again. But they mess around to get somebody like Dame or somebody like Kyrie or somebody like James Harden, you know, they're going to be right back where they, where they were this year. And, and hopefully they can get over that hump, get back to the finals. And of course, like um, it's it's funny that you brought up making moves because that was gonna be our next question. Is like teams are gonna have to start thinking smarter with this new CBA that's about to drop. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Gil, uh, Gilbert Arenas who threw out the great idea of teams giving out some kind of equity with players because yeah. they won't be able to give out such a big contract. What are your thoughts on the new CBA and how it affects teams? So it's funny, man. You hear stories all the time. You know, you'll see stories about, oh, this player took less or this player, yeah, he took less to help the team. But the reality is behind the scenes, depending on what city they're in, they're plugging them with the resources. Like if that's the Bay Area, they're going to give you some tech plugs. If that's, you know, a team in Texas, they might hook you up with the oil connects and all that type of stuff or real estate and things like that. So there's definitely things that can go on behind the scenes where, oh, this dude took, you know, he didn't take the full amount that he could have got. It's like, okay, we're going to get you behind the scenes. And I'm curious to see, without obviously reading too much into what that CBA is going to be, how much of that is possible. Because even the stuff where these guys can invest in cannabis and gaming companies and things like that, you know, it's going to be an interesting world and landscape in this new CBA of how to maneuver. But the thing is, there's always loopholes. There's always ways around it. We're not going to hear about it as just average fans about the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But, you know, like any human being, if, if I feel like I'm worth – 50 million dollars i want my 50 mil if not i want more than 50 so if i feel like i'm worth 50 but y'all y'all think i only signed for 35 somebody coming up with that 15 somewhere to even it out you know what i mean so y'all might think it's 35 but at the end of the day we got some stuff going on behind the scenes they just plugged me with a great investment yo put up a couple mil in this investment oh what do you know you just you know 10 extra money now that two mil investments a 20 mil we already we got you your bread like that so i think teams are going to get smart uh, teams are competitive. I'm not really a fan of the CBA, just kind of how it's structured right now, punishing teams like the Warriors who were able to build up their franchise through, a, you know, solid drafting and making great free agency moves. And, you know, got Steph with the janky ankle several years ago on, on that, that four-year, $44 million deal, whatever it was, that kind of laid the foundation for them to be able to create this juggernaut. I'm fine with that. At the end of the day, you want to reward the owners that are breaking bread, willing to go into luxury tax to, to create a winner. Unfortunately, you know, you got big money owners like the Warriors and the Clippers who are able to do that. There's a lot of teams that may not be able to keep up with that. So you also want it to be fair and to give every team an opportunity, especially the small market teams, to create some. But even like what y'all done over in Memphis, like, you know, y'all built a, a great squad over there making good moves, drafting solid players and, and just picking wisely. And, you know, getting a guy like Ja, getting a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks when you had him. Not really a fan of the way the team did him after that situation. I think he's going to bounce back and figure it out. But you want teams to be successful. I think there's a lot of teams at the top. And also, you look at a team like the Clippers, who, you know, Steve Ballmer's the richest owner in the league. He's committed a lot of money to create championship teams. 
they've yet to get out of the Western Conference, you know, in two reach a final. So despite how good that team looks on paper, you still got to play the game. You deal with so many other different factors and variables throughout a season that there's no short thing. There's no guarantee. Really only guarantee was when KD went to the Warriors. Literally no matter what happens, they were going to win chips. And even then, 2019, they see the Raptors. Debatable. I'm just saying they see the Raptors and KD get hurt, Clay get hurt. And even then still, this team that you feel like is unbeatable can get beaten. It's crazy you bring up my Warriors because I'm a huge fan, but they stopped, they shot themselves in the foot when they signed Jordan Poole or Clothes Poole. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> All that money, so. that, that's the tagline for, for his for three to Hardaway with Let's Be Real. Pool. Uh, the pool yeah. is closed every time yeah. he plays. Like but that. I mean, when they made that move, it looked like a good deal, right? When 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 they no, signed that deal, yeah, I, I did. You wasn't so rolling with it, no, I didn't. Because <laughs> <rolling with it. laughs> oh, last year in the playoffs, he. He was wait. He's still young, but he was so inconsistent, and was like, "Are you sure you yeah. want to pay him that much with Steph and Clay and Draymond still about this money?" But it's, it's tough though, because those dudes are all getting you know Clay, especially coming yeah, off the uh, you know missing those two years, trying to come back, and it, it's a tough as a team like that when you got these old guys and you're trying to build up this young core and make that transition. Never really a smooth thing. You're gonna go through some bumps and hiccups, but I thought when they signed that pool deal, and it didn't look like the worst deal in the world. Then you know we've seen some deals out there that that yeah. get signed, and it's like, yo, like what, what were they thinking? Like this ain't no way this thing is gonna work. But now they've got the leverage with pool and the rest of the squad to be able to make some moves. That James Wiseman draft pick, you know, when they could have had Lamelo mm. Wiseman, you know, he's gonna have a good career. It just wasn't gonna be with Golden State, and they mm. don't really have the room now to, to to for guys to grow. Like you look at a guy like Wimby, right, going to San Antonio. Ain't no pressure on Wimby for at least like two to three seasons. They're not expecting him to come in. Whatever he do this year, as long as they have one more win than they had last year, it's an improvement. And it's not like, oh, we get into the playoffs, we win the chips yet. But now around year two, year three, all right, Wimby, what's cracking? Like, you know, what, what are we doing right now? You an all-star yet? Like, what's going on? But to be in that position where Warriors is win now, like James Wiseman, you're going to be a great player, but we don't got time to develop you like that. So we got we to gotta make a move and cut our losses. Yep, and speaking of bad contracts, Memphis, we it took us a while to get over a certain player that I know too don't want me to mention, Chandler Parsons, or who we call Pimp Parsons. But Ooh, that contract, don't, don't I was just that other dude. <laughs> I had but, the I had the 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 distinct uh pleasure of meeting Chandler Parsons on my way to work one morning. <laughs> we are both getting breakfast at a Chick-fil-A, and he was injured and he was quote unquote out indefinitely. And I was just on some positive stuff, just hoping he would get back some of the things of that nature. And yeah, that wasn't the best. So I was just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> he, he wasn't cool with you. He was salty or what? No, no, he was cool. He was cool. I kind of wish the well things of that nature, you know. But when you see that out indefinitely and you don't see any progress of him getting back on the floor and yeah. then him trashing the city and trashing Memphis on his way out, it, it just wasn't a great, wasn't a great. Okay. Time. Okay, I get yeah, it. I wish you would have threw that Chick Fil A at him, but that's neither. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real, real quick, Joe, uh, on your Lakers, real quick, man. I got a real question I need to ask you. So, a, a couple of our uh, co-hosts as well, our brothers, they were Laker fans, and I say were because as soon as LeBron James got there, they said, "Nah, we ain't dealing with this shit." And a okay. bunch of Lakers fans feel that way. Why? I'm, I'm not gonna say a bunch. I mean, it's tough because when you really break <laughs> it down, <laughs> I know. Like, like I'm a LeBron fan, right? So I'm a LeBron fan. I've been rocking with LeBron since 2003. Uh, we used to battle Kobe fans all the time, man. So Kobe fans and LeBron fans is kind of like LeBron and Steph fans now, just in terms of beef. 
and they felt like that beef was eternal. But then you you watch, you know, if you watch the Redeem Team doc on Netflix and you see how much those dudes loved and rocked with each other. And they're just different. You know, Kobe had his approach in his style. LeBron has his approach in his style. Both have been successful and won championships. But to see them just talking to each other, how much they loved each other, you know, you know, LeBron singing happy, happy birthday to Kobe when they were out at the Olympics, you know, way back in the day. I, I like to run that clip all the time just to remind people. So when LeBron first came, you know, people had heard the rumors, the stories about other situations. He was just coming to L.A. to be an actor. He wasn't trying to really win. Uh, he was difficult, all this other stuff. But I think, you know, especially in that, that 2020 season after losing Kobe, and just the Lakers kind of rallying behind each other in the midst of a pandemic, going out to the bubble, being able to get that championship. I feel like the mood changed a lot. But Lakers fans are Lakers fans. Like, Lakers fans demand excellence in 17 championships. They don't want no excuses. Western Conference Finals, not good enough. You know what I'm saying? Making the playoffs, not good enough. You know, getting knocked out in the first round, damn sure ain't good enough. So when you don't reach the, the levels that they want you to reach, and just in my experience now seeing it, you know, since LeBron's been there, like, it don't matter who you are. LeBron, AD, uh, Danny Green, I didn't see him get it. Kuz, I didn't see him get it. KCP, I like to joke that they bullied KCP to a finals MVP level. Like they was killing KCP early in the season. Come finals time, you start balling. But that's also a fan base. When, when you ball and when you do your thing, they appreciate you. They respect you. They're going to love you forever. Alex Caruso, he wasn't no superstar player. This dude almost ended up making an all-star game as a starter one year just because that Lakers fans rallied behind and put yep. those votes up. So – I think, you know, a lot of some Lakers fans got beef, but at the end of the day, the beef is when you don't reach the level that you're supposed to reach. So early in this season, LeBron was getting, you know, packed up, killed, all that type of stuff. But I think for fans to see uh, with that foot injury, I think missed like 13 games, you know, was supposed to get surgery, potentially missed the rest of the season, came back, played through it, you know, didn't look like himself, you know, looked like a lesser version of LeBron, but be able to battle through, you know, beat the Grizzlies, beat the Warriors, advance to the Western Conference Finals even though that's not, you know, I don't think anybody's satisfied with that. They definitely respect and appreciate where this team could have been getting that pick taken by the Pelicans, you know, losing a top five pick in for, for as a result of that AD trade. That would have really, you know, we would have really seen it. But this is L.A. People demand excellence in L.A. So if you don't reach that level, it don't matter if you're LeBron or the last dude on the bench, they're going to let you know about it. And they got no problem doing that all day, every day. Nice. And speaking of the team that y'all beat in the first round, the Memphis Grizzlies, I fan basically been fighting each other with this young team who I started. We, we, we've been fighting with the rest <laughs> of Grizz Nation because we the ones that's been realistic out here. Everybody, every time we look up, they're talking about, oh, it's a development year. It's a development year. Yep. As I told them, the moment you put the Warriors out in 2021 and got in as an eight seed against Utah in 2021, that development stuff, that development shit went out the window. Now yeah. – you're mm -hmm. shaping your roster to possibly contend for a championship. But yeah, well, go ahead, Sharky. I didn't mean to take take your soliloquy away yeah. from you. No, it's all good. Right. Really, my question is: Do you still view the Grizzlies like last? Well, not last year, but the year before last. They were the media's darkness, right? They were the, came out the blue, got the two seed. Everything's fine and dandy. This past year, off court troubles, players, Johnson, different. We're fine in the West. Desmond Bain saying we're guaranteed to win games. You know, all the trash talking finally got finally got to him. Do you still feel like the Grizzlies, because they are still young, do you still feel like they're a team on the rise, or do you feel like, kind of like OKC back in the day, they missed their window, potentially? Well, just, just to be real, y'all, when I see stuff like Ja doing that, I was a big fan of Dylan Brooks. I mean, I think, you know, and it's like, look, you poke the bear, sometimes you lose. But at the end of the day, I like consistency. And I think the only thing I wasn't a fan of, right, he did all that talking, you know, 
when they was up, then things didn't go their way. Now he's 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 not doing the media stuff. He's not doing you know, and that's something we talked about on on, on Gil's show. Where it's like, if you do all that talking, right, and we know you're going up against LeBron and you do not succeed, that is to be expected, right? So LeBron James, one of the greatest players ever. So, But you do that and then you run and hide. It's like nobody's ever going to respect that again. But when I look at this Grizzlies team, to your point, we saw that series last year against the Warriors, you know, smacking them dudes by 40, 50 points, talking that trash. You you respect it. Even, you know, ain't nobody scared them big-ass footsteps. Like they told Bron, like when you see that stuff – and there's nothing you could do about it. Like, yeah, like, okay, I respect these dudes. Like, they're not they're not backing down from nobody. They want all the smoke. But I think for y'all, look, you do got a super young team. I think the most important thing, obviously, what's going to go down with Ja. Uh, you know, Ja's got to get his his mind right, his life together, understand not just importance to, to the Grizzlies, but it's importance to the league, man. This dude has the potential to be the face of the league. Uh, you know, it's going to probably be a few years delayed now once he, you know, gets these situations over, we figure out what the suspension is going to be. But you think about all the stuff going on in this world, and his shoe's still selling out in two minutes. So the the, the kids, the youth, the future, they rock with this dude. They don't. I don't care about if it was a toy gun or whatever on IG. He he listened to young boy. We listened to young boy. But he's got to understand just the role model he is, the example he needs to be. But this is a dude just having to get this. You know, I was at a, I think game what was that game four in LA, but just being there and seeing him live, man, and just seeing. And I was at the game, too. I think it was like January, February. So it was before the trade went down that we ended up winning when uh, Shannon Sharp and, and T got into it. So I was at that game, too. But just being able to see Ja up front in person, what you know, what he brings to the game, man. This dude is a, only 23 years old, phenomenal talent. He's got a super, super bright future if he can get his mind right. But even guys like Desmond Bain and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. winning defensive player of the year. And, and what this squad brings, man, you guys got a, a nice core nucleus team, but I'm sure at this point, like, oh, we've been two seed a couple of times now. We need to see some results out of it. We need to see a Western Conference Finals. We need to see, you know, a trip to the finals to see what we can really do. But I think the squad, I think the one thing they're missing is just a strong veteran leader. Like Steven Adams, I want to say is your oldest player. He's not, yep. he's not really that. You need that, that Udonis type of player, obviously a younger version of that, but somebody who can keep all these dudes in line and show them what it means to be a pro. You got a lot of young dudes right now that's teaching each other how to be adults and teaching each other how to be professionals. And that's just never a good recipe or a good formula for success. But despite all that, what Taylor Jenkins has been able to do with that team, you know what I'm saying? You know, being at the top of a, a tough Western conference and that's fine for the regular season. But like y'all know, as soon as these playoffs come, it's a whole different beast, whole different animal. And you, you're not the media darlings anymore. You got dudes, you know, it's kind of like the Lakers, man. Anywhere the Lakers go, it doesn't matter if the Lakers are the 10th seed or the one seed. They got a target on their back. Everybody's bringing their best effort. Everybody wants to beat them. I think you guys are starting to see a lot of that too because you got a lot of dudes that like to run their mouth. And when you run your mouth, you know, people want to take you down. So I'm curious to see. I wasn't, like I said, a fan of Dylan Brooks, how they handled that. They kind of made it like it was his fault that they lost the series. Did he play at the highest level he could? No, of course not. Did he? But, you know, for me, like running his mouth, like I was I was excited watching all those games. It was, it was great basketball. And to see the, the, you know, even we got you on six, but just to see the the effort and energy and job with the janky, you know, hand once they once that hand went down, just to be real, all this thing's done. Like there ain't, ain't no way they're coming back from this. But to see him play, perform, hitting shots out there, you know, doing the stuff that he was doing, he's got a super bright future if he can get his mind right. And when, when at, at some point, if he does get his mind right, y'all might be fine in the West. I think he was a little little too early with it. You know, what I'm saying you get around Taylor Rooks, you know, you you know you start. You know, trying to show off a little too much. Yeah, Taylor, yeah, Taylor Rooks is, is kind of becoming a, 
<laughs> kind of like almost of a uh, curse, almost. Because everybody get comfortable no right now. Because they want to show off for ground. Josh Hart, you know, it's crazy. But y'all know, y'all been young too. Like you, you. Oh, yeah. hey, well, I'm in front. I gotta show. I gotta say, tell Taylor something <laughs> that really gonna make her under. You know, you know, look at me exactly. a certain type of way, but. <laughs> It is. I think. I mean, long run, y'all be fine. We can take probably a couple more moves just to shore up that squad. But really, now if you're talking about job missing 30, 40, 50 games, you know, next year might be a redshirt year for y'all. Just to be real, like you know, just just retool yeah. and get ready for the following season. But saying that, like the squad, I think it was either this year or the year previous. I would say Jai had the foot or ankle, whatever it was, mm-hmm. but played well without him. You know, they played well without him. Even the, the game they won was game two, right? Game two they won without yep. him. Mm-hmm. So. You know, not to say you can't, you can't, uh, it's a small sample size. I want to say you can do that for a long time, but it's not like this squad just falls apart when Jaws not there. And just yep. for the record, that 40 point blowout against Golden State was without John. Ja, yep, yeah. he didn't play. Uh-huh. Yep. And the next question I have, of course, here in Memphis, we we coined the phrase Memphis versus everybody. Shout out to Yo Gotti. I just want to know from an outsider's perspective all the things that you see about the city of Memphis and the Grizzlies themselves, where is your perception of Memphis based on like national, how national media perceives us? So I'm going to tell y'all this. I don't want y'all to get mad at me. I want y'all to really help me um, lift me, help me, be help me become real. a better no, we, we got you. Let's Let be real. Be help real. Me so I was out in Memphis last year for the Iverson Classic, my first time out there. Got to walk up and down Bill Street. I'm an old man now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s. It was a little too turned up for me. I could understand in my younger years, I would really appreciate all the good stuff going on. But I got, you know, we was getting barbecue, and I, I wasn't getting the, the best spots. I'm just going to say that. So I need y'all to tell me where did the good barbecue spots to go through out in Memphis. Okay. Well, we went before, to, like, BB King's. I know that's not – I didn't I didn't expect that to be good. It's too. It's a chain yeah, joint. Yeah. You know, but, but, like, Central, I think, like, Central City or something like that. And for me, I heard all the stuff about Memphis barbecue. So I'm like, you know, I want to hit as much barbecue yeah. as, as possible. I don't care if I'm going to be sleepy the whole time or whatever. I'm trying to get it in. <laughs> All right, Shark, you, you can take the rails on this one. Hey, I got one cozy corner. Pretty much you got to go to the hood spots. Duh. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know how it is. Cozy yeah. corner, uh, Payne's barbecue. But you got to mm-hmm. really – with Payne's, you really got to try to catch them because they, they, their hours are, like, real janky. They'll okay. be, like, over from, like, 5 to 9 or, like, 5 to 7, something like that. Uh, so they their pulled pork sandwich is amazing. Okay. Yep. So Cozy Corner, Pains is another one too. I'm, I'm gonna let you uh, get in this because you know you're a fellow Memphian just like us. Man, I don't eat too much, bro. I'm good with tops. I'm Central's actually pretty good to me, so I'm like, okay, that was my spot. So I don't eat too much. And I think I, I was tripping because I, I mean I'm a big fan. Like LA, like we don't got the best barbecue in the world, but like they got good like you know mac and cheese and green. They they serve good. It's kind of almost like a soul food type of mentality yeah. with, with the side so people in memphis was killing me like yo why are you worried about the so i'm like if i get the mac and, and cheese and it looked like some stuff i can make on on a stove pot i'm not really i need, <laughs> oh, some, no, I need no. the you, cheeses you gotta get the you gotta get the baked mac and cheese with the crust and everything yeah I, you're I, not that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking for but i know i didn't yeah. get the best advice out there i wasn't and like y'all said yeah. we probably same rules la like any spot i think vince staples said it but like you know any spot that you could lose your life at that's the spot you want to <laughs> you know yep. i remember <laughs> so literally i'm not familiar with la but where, where nipsey passed away is this little uh it's basically like a little mini mall right by crenshaw slauson but they used to have this spot there called master burger and master burger was cool but it was like hamburger spot but i go there late at night and the whole time head on a swivel like you gotta you know Really be prepared to abandon your order, just jump in the car in case some shit goes down. Cause that's just what that you know. What I mean, like I got this order, I'm waiting for it, but I know very well I might not get to get it. Cause if I if I 
detect any anything coming, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, wait two. Yeah, uh, for me, I guess the next question would be. Um, so I'm gonna read out a couple names, and I really want you to get your honest opinion on them. We got Brenny James, we got D- DJ Rodman, and we also got Isaiah Collier, who's the number one recruit in the nation. All going to USC. Not, yeah, um, not really. Yeah. Has USC caught up finally with UCLA? Because they've been out the media for 20, 25, 30 years, and now they got one of the best recruiting classes. What's up? On paper, on paper, we're not, you know, we're not really worried or concerned about them. They got to, you know, all, all them names look great on paper. We got to see what they look like on the court. But shout out to them. I mean, shout out to Bronny, uh, you know, staying home, going to SC. There was talk about Oregon. I don't really feel like UCLA was in the mix much with them. But it's cool to see, too, for me, like a lot of these dudes kind of come up playing with each other, AAU scenes, and now taking control of their, their own life. And especially with this NIL now, where dudes can be professionals and get a bag. And it's really kind of just shaking up the whole landscape because every school now to be able to compete, money got to be right. And that was always my biggest gripe when I was a college athlete and a college student. I didn't deserve a lot of that bread, but I played with a lot of guys who, who deserved it. And you see guys living in, in, you know, I'm not gonna say, you know, college is fine. You get you get room and board and food and all that stuff, but you you're not living this luxurious life that people like to think. Like we had hustles, like we had a Gatorade machine in the locker room and we would clear that shit out every single day. So, you know, there were certain things you'd have a ton of Gatorade and protein powders and drinks like that and all types of athletic equipment, but just getting meals every day and, and all that type of stuff. So the CDs do is taking advantage and leveraging that stuff. To- I think Bronny, I want to say coming in, has like the highest NIL valuation just based off his reach and stuff like that. But for Bronny to stay close to home. But, you know, SC is going, going to talk and they're going to do that. But you, uh, L.A. is a, a basketball city and UCLA is that team. So they know what it is and they know they got to come to Westwood to see what we're talking about. The, uh, real quick, uh, do you see any downfalls of, of the NIL deals, especially with some being as high as Bronny's like $5 million, $4 million a season and things like that? Do you see any downfalls? I think the, the the messed up part, like when I was coming out, right, everything was based on who the top guys in high school were, right? McDonald's All-American, these blue chip recruits. Even you look at schools like Kentucky, really used to make their name, right? They, they bring a, a Fab Four, Fab Five, a freshman in. All those dudes would stay a year, maybe two at the most. They're all off to the league. Where now, it, the, the crazy part is, is like it's, it's shifting away from high school because if you – our program, like look at even now with, with this final four and the teams that made it and how wild that looks on paper, right? You never imagine seeing a team like San Diego state coming out of California before obviously a UCLA or SC or some of the other options. But now what you have is that guy, you know, would you rather get a, a top player coming out of high school or like a, you know, a dude who was a junior, who was an all conference in a smaller conference, but has two, three years college basketball under his belt, putting up 15 to 18 a game already in college and already has a sample size too of playing against bigger power programs and doing that versus a high school kid who's unproven. So I think those are the people who kind of suffer the most because high school kids now it's like you're the top point guard coming out of high school and I can get, you know, the top, you know, junior senior point guard who's looking to transfer come to my school. I'm, I'm going to take the dude with experience, right? Cause I'm not, you unproven and no matter how good, unless you are just a short thing, right. Which we we've seen throughout the course of, of, of history, but Unless you're just a short thing, I'm I'm, I'm gonna go with this guy who's already proven it, albeit maybe in at a smaller level. But I know he's putting up 20 here. He can average or 20 at the school he's coming from. He can average 10, 12, 15, and you've seen that crazily on the, the the women's side as well, which is wild. Somebody like Haley Van Lith, who's you know cooking in the tournament, different from Louisville to go to LSU that just won a national championship, 
and now you're getting these like super teams in college, which I think is cool. Curious to see how it breaks down because those kids getting that amount of money that early, they don't know the business side of it. Like you don't have to pay taxes and all that and really understanding what these brands are asking for. And me, I do a ton of stuff in the branded space and understand just hypothetically, like say I, I sign a deal with Pepsi, well, I can't sign no deal with Coca-Cola, you know, for the foreseeable future. Or if I sign with McDonald's, I can't do nothing with Burger King or whatever it may be. So you might get a short-term bag up front that you like, ooh, it's just some money in my pocket. Where down the road, another brand may have wanted to give you a, a stronger, a longer relationship, more bread that now you really can't mess with because you, you've already signed a deal somewhere else. So hopefully they're getting the kind of the knowledge on that side. I do some, you know, like I've talked to some class at SC and other schools just trying to explain to these kids what a lot of this stuff means, reading these contracts, understanding what the deliverables are. And then also you get situations where schools will bring in players, right? Give them a ton of bread on the NIL. Let's say that player doesn't produce or perform to the level that they were thinking. Now they're pulling that bag and putting these kids in a really bad situation. So it, it's, it's tough. I see all sides of it, but then you got like the transfer portal as well. And think about the transfer portal, like you might go in that portal, but you, you very well may not come out. Right. And you, you might have an opportunity at school for whatever you look at Dion when he came to Colorado, like y'all might as well, you know, some of y'all not going to make it. So you might as well hit that portal. When not a lot of these guys, futures and careers are in limbo. And he suffered the other side of it too, where guys essentially used him to get some good tape out there at the spring game, get some good exposure, you know, balled out in the spring game. All right, I'm out. I see, you know, if you want to play it like that, I'm going to play it like that too. So I see both sides, but I'm always obviously for the players. I think for far too long, they were taken advantage of, but it, it's, it's an interesting game. The thing is they need to, figure out something they're not going to be able to control it right away from state to state, school to school. Everybody has a different interpretation of the rules and different things going on and uh, just figure all that stuff out. But, you know, the game is forever changed. Hopefully it's for the benefit of the players, but I also see the, the dark side of it as well. Yep. I got it. So we're about to have you make a list. Who are your top five point guards in NBA today? Oh, in the NBA today? Oh, uh, number one, I got to go with LeBron. <laughs> and people want to argue this all the time. Yep. He initiates the offense. Was, I know, agree. On, on offense, hey, my standard definition. Right, though, right. See, small forward on defense, right? He's not really guarding points. But, you know, got to throw Steph in there as well, uh, I think. And it's tough, too, because I don't look at Steph as like a traditional point guard. He's more of a, a combo guard. I'm trying to think, man. It's so hard nowadays with the league, especially like who who are actually point guard. You might as well throw Jokic in there. He Bro, we, we were on Gil's show today, and uh, I think Gil might have made the point because we were basically like, what happens if you if you shut down him offensively? He, he just turns into a point guard. Like he initiates the offense, get you know, gets things moving like that. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I'm 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 privy to LaMelo. I know he's hurt right now. But I, I like, the, like the way he moves out there. I'm a yeah. Harden fan, too, as well. Just, you know, I appreciate James for everything he does. He's kind of taking a backseat with Embiid. So hopefully he can get his game back. And then I look at somebody like a, a Luka or Kyrie. You know, probably got to go with Luka. Just, just, I mean, he, he's cold, man, like, just to see. And he's crazy because he has a build like a dude who you see in, like, a rec league or somebody you feel like you give buckets to. But to see the way he moves out there, body control, and even Joker, too, like, Watching Joker, I think it's so frustrating. I'm like, damn, we kind of built the same way. I, like, I, I could have been that skilled just <laughs> not having to dunk or jump or, or do anything if I would have really committed to it. But then you look at his touch and the way he, he just gets buckets and even the stuff he was doing to the Lakers. There was a few plays. He had like a three and 80s grill, I think, to end the third quarter. I forget which game yeah. it was. And it was like, are we ain't winning this game. Like, 
he making yeah. he he making that BS like this game is done. He making that, and it, I think that step back three he made. He did it twice. In game four. And like <laughs> and LeBron said, you got to tip your cap. Like, yep, just gotta say, hey, shake his hand. Because you're watching this, like, oh, this is a great defensive play. We're gonna get a stop off of this. All we gotta do now is just get the rebound, and we good. And then it's like, what? Like, how did? Like, come on, man. Like, yep, exactly. And but but the term the term point guard now is so like coming up. You know, like I came, I was born in the '80s, so watching the '80s, '90s, who even early 2000s, you knew it was like defined. This was the point guard. But I also, and I always laugh at that because like coming up playing AAU. It's like if you were somebody who was KD's height back in the day, get your ass in the post. Like, don't even think about bringing the ball up the court. What you on the perimeter for trying to make move? You better jump hooks, up and unders. That's what you. That's what you're allowed to give us. So, to see dudes like that, to see a dude like Bo Bo at like seven three, seven four, initiating the break, going through his legs, and you know having just that wiggle yeah. in his game, man, is wild to me. But and I'm excited to see what Wimby's got too, because watching his kind of just highlights and clips. We look at this big seven three, seven four, seven five kid that's initiating the offense, going through his leg on dunks, like doing stuff that these kids have no business doing at that that height, man. It's it's the league's in a good spot, man. I'm excited to see what the future of it looks like. Yeah, I'm kind of liking your boat. What you said on Gil the other day, though, because we saw the highlight of him going through the legs, but he finished like thirteen and ten. And I'm like, yeah. if you, you if you're the potential number one pick in the draft, or I, I need you dominating at, at the that's, height and the, the skill set that you have. Like I need, like, I hate to quote Shaq, but I need you like twenty eight fifteen. Yeah, that's like that, I'm so. wa- I'm watching the game. I'm watching everybody post the highlight. I'm like, this is cool. It's warm ups. Like you know, I, I can't do it, so I'm not gonna sit here and hate on it. Then I saw the stat line. I'm like, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. Like, <laughs> man, at least give man. me twenty rebounds. Some I don't even, you know, you don't got to cook on. You don't got to give me give me thirteen to twenty if you're gonna do that. But you know, the uh-huh. the, the, the 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 minimum double double. Like you too close to the minimum <laughs> for a double double. You know what I mean? I need I needed I need like jokers. Like give me that, yeah, that 31 and 20 and, and then we could talk. Bet, bet. So you're a general manager of a team. You can pick any five players for your star and five. Who would that five, who would those five players be? And who would your coach be? Oh, this is, this is I'm gonna go Spo just because I like what he's doing now. I would go pop too, but it feels like pop he he he's not really tripping anymore. We'll see what win becomes if he changes up. I'll go Spo. I'm gonna go Giannis. I'm gonna go Giannis, Joker, Steph, LeBron. Oh, I don't even know. I gotta think about. Like it's I was always the two guard spot. It's always that two spot. That that second wing spot is. But I, but I would even go if you gave me like Ja or Luca. Like you know, I can go Ja. Give me Ja, Steph, LeBron, uh, Giannis, Joker, and it's like I don't really know. I'm getting everything I need, high-flying dunks. I'm getting, you know, I got like four dudes on the court who can run point guard at any point, yep. you know Thanks. what I mean, that, that can run the offense. And even though no shade to Embiid, but if I look at between the, those three, uh, Embiid, Giannis, and Joker, I'm rolling. I mean, Embiid had his opportunity to really distance himself. I know he won the MVP, more power to him. Definitely feel like he deserved it based on the regular season. But what we saw in the postseason, and Grant, I know he was a little hurt. Same thing with Giannis. Like what Joker's done, I feel like he's really distancing himself from these dudes now which is, again, wild to say, because I know when Embiid and Joker play, Embiid kind of gives them that work, but Joker consistently, and anytime you got a dude that can go out there and drop 10, 12 assists and not really break a sweat doing it, like it's not, you know, like holding them to four assists as a seven-footer was like a remarkable accomplishment in game two, but it's like they were just missing shots. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like you held them to that. They, you know, Jamal Murray struggled, guys are struggling, so 
it's wild, man. And then, yeah, like I said, so Spo and that crew, I, w- I would roll with. And a final question. Basically, going to the NBA Finals, what adjustment do you think the Miami Heat needs to make to win game four to tie it up at two? I, I, if the, the Nuggets play like they played in game three, they just need to adjust that schedule and figure out if they want to go to Cancun, they want to go to Cabo, they want to go to Hawaii. I agree. <laughs> I mean, because even in the game, game two, they won the game, more power to them. But they're literally a Jamal Murray three away from tying that thing. And if that thing goes to overtime, I feel like it's likely a different outcome. Game three, Jimmy dropping 28. Uh, Gabe Vincent, you know, giving you some solidness. Caleb Martin kind of, you know, not playing at the level he played in the Eastern Conference Finals, but had a nice little spurt there. I was saying like the second quarter, we had like eight straight. And at no point did they really – you know, he turning on the fourth quarter, I think. I don't know how they, they pan in the fourth quarter of this game, but they had won the previous two fourth quarters. But it didn't really look like they had anything for him. And we did a watch party. Uh, damn, it was yesterday. I'm tripping, man. Like, all these days clumped together. So we did it <laughs> yesterday. And it was like two minutes ago. And I think uh, Bama hit some free throws to cut it to 13. And Spo kind of pulled some of the starters out. And it's just like – Yep. I don't I miss mean, the NBA finals. I mean, for me, that just feels like if you're down 25, 30, okay. It's kind of like the Warriors did the same thing against the Lakers, I want to say in that game mm-hmm. six, where it was like 17, 18-point game with like three or four minutes to go, and they kind of pulled everybody. And I'm like, you know, I know the way the game is looking right now, and it looks like you got no chance, but you got to at least try. Like, you know what I mean? It's, you know, especially yeah. now it's the NBA Finals. So they actually ended up, I think, cutting it to like 10 or we're in position to cut it to like eight or five. Mm-hmm. Once they dunk around there or somebody missed that three, and it's like, or maybe cut it to six or whatever it was. And it's like, I mean, you know, you don't you don't get these games back, right? So you, you can't really, especially as a hit, you can't afford to lose another one. I mean, I didn't mind the Caleb Love thing. I think it might be time to move on from that because at the same time, the Nuggets are going to make adjustments as well. You saw after game two what they did in game three. Jamal Murray did his thing. They both dropping triple doubles on you. It's like, you know, I, I can live with, with Joker dropping a triple double on me, but I got to deal with Jamal Murray giving me a 30-piece, you know, with 10 and 10 to go with it. What do I, you know, I, I just right. don't know. We'll see if Tyler Hero comes back. I don't know how effective he's going to be. And we say all that, and then game four, Spo might have figured something out or saw something in three <laughs> yep. that'll that'll make them tie the series 2-2. Two, two. But I think the way it's looking, it's kind of similar to that, that Lakers series where, like, the Lakers, you know, Lakers-Warriors, you can make some mistakes and you could beat the Warriors because the Warriors, you know, Steph made a couple of mistakes, I want to say, in game four or five, whatever that yep, was. They were, they were making mistakes, too, in game four that he don't characteristically make like this nugget squad they you make one or two mistakes like they got too many dudes out there between mpj who's been struggling right now but bruce brown kcp even a jeff green type who can literally mess around and, and get how give you a solid six you know what i mean but just going well above his means in terms of what they're expecting for in production christian brown now coming in and he was you know solid game two a little shaky game one but now you're like, okay, we don't even need to play MPJ as much. We could we even mess around, put him on the bench, let Brown go out there, rock out. And it's a look that the Heat, you know, didn't really prepare for. So adjustment, I can't give you, you know what I mean? I, if I had the answer, <laughs> I'd be coaching in the league right now. I, I think they got to pray a little bit, pray some of those shots don't go in. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if, if Joker and Jamal Murray are playing at that level, you might as well just tip your cap to them, you know, call it a series. And like I said, get ready. End this thing in five. Put yourself out of, out of misery and don't, don't worry about trying to go six. And get ready to get Dame Lillard. <laughs> now, Dame, <laughs> we talked on the show today, and, and Gil and he fans were, 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 were killing him, but he was like, yo, if James Harden, you know, but you look at James Harden and you got that negative stigma, love and strip clubs, whatever, 
like the way that the Heat run as an operation, if Harden could come and buy into that culture, get his body fat down, get his body right, you know, Pat, Pat and Spoh going to get him right. You know, yep. you're talking about a squad. Now, if you get Dame over there, and that's, you know, got to be the sell today. And the problem is what you're going to do to get Dame, because that 50 mm-hmm. million on the books right now, Woo. to get Dame, Jimmy, and Bam, I mean, it's like, I just don't know if the Blazers, like, you got to give up Hero and Duncan Robinson, which don't get me wrong, but I just don't know if I'm the Blazers. I'm like, what? Yeah. You got to give me something. Just quality. Like, you got to give, give me one of those if you're going to give me Dame. Man, you ain't got no picks. You are in the finals with unknown, undrafted players. You think they worried about that? <laughs> I'm going on. That's what I'm saying. Like, there, there's not done. enough money. There's just not yeah, enough yeah, money to make it work because all them undrafted. <laughs> Ain't getting no bread, and you got guys like uh, yeah. Gabe Vincent and Struess are about to be free agents. Even if they dip, that's only like mm-hmm. two or three million on your. You know, what I mean, like I wish, like you know, it was enough to 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 make it work. But the reality is, that's why somebody like a Harden makes sense, or a Kyrie, even because it's free agents, where you could you could finagle and win. And like we talked about before, look, we're not gonna give you the full amount that you want, but you know, I got a strip club you can invest in over here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be – I know Dan, I saw that interview and Dame said he want to do it. That's where the, the tricky part becomes now with the CBA because even somebody mm-hmm. like a Kyrie, like how if you're the Lakers, how do you really get that done? You have to get D'Lo to buy in. And if I'm D'Lo and you're like, I just want you to sign and trade so we can send you where we want to send you and not where you want to might want to go. Like if I'm D'Lo, like I don't exactly. got no loyalty or leader to y'all. Like I'm not like yeah. – y'all want to play me like that? Y'all was clowning me. Fans was killing me. Like all right, we'll see. Like you know what I mean? So – that's just the, the way the game works. Yeah, and to your point, Portland, you can match salaries, but do they want these players? Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Yes, I mean that's what I'm saying. I could I could do the trade machine and get, but if I'm Portland, like yeah. oh, I'm not taking none of them dudes. No. Like, if, if I got a nice uh, a nice foundation right now with Portland with Shaden Sharp, and then you got this number three overall pick as well. And Miami yeah. got no picks. They only got like two picks and exactly. So yeah. it's gonna be a tough sale. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're not. Like you're getting hung up on. That's just real. Yeah. All right. Well, Josiah, man, it's the end of the episode, man. We appreciate you coming on. Definitely. In case anybody's sleeping on a rock and happen to not know you, that watch our <laughs> show. <laughs> Let people know where to follow you. Not on Twitter, uh, nothing. Like, <laughs> I mean, at this point, you can't find me, then I don't need to be found. But uh, King Josiah54 <laughs> on Twitter, you know, appreciate everybody for the love and support. Appreciate y'all too, man. And uh, it was great to pull up to the show, man. Thank you for having me. I know it took a little while. I've been, I've been getting my butt kicked with playoff work and all that stuff, but glad we got to yeah. finally make it happen. We appreciate you having me. You we thank you for saying yes. That's that's all it is. Yeah. Thanks. Nah, well, I appreciate gentlemen like yourself as well, man. I'll tell you, I'll just keep grinding. It's important. Like these type of shows are important for the community, the basketball community, really growing this thing, growing the game. And we see so many, I'm sure y'all just like me, y'all see so many other people out there. And it's like, I can do that too. So go ahead and do it. You know, you, you can sit and talk about it on the couch all you want. Go make some stuff happen. You know, create good content, and you got obviously the Grizzlies is your lane. I ain't ever gonna try and infringe on y'all space or you know other people. So, <laughs> you know, cook out with that Grizzly stuff. Hey, definitely, man. Appreciate the kind words and everything. Yeah. But as always, y'all know to follow us. LBR underscore media. Follow me at the one D A O N E underscore P Shark. Yeah, I'm at the art of Trevor. Uh, the first letter of each word is capitalized except of because it's yes, a person. Yes, sir. And that's at Tev Shakir, man. Thank y'all so much for checking us out. Yep. Of course, follow our other two members who wasn't here. It's really Sheedy and underscore Scott Lido. And until next time, peace. Peace.